By watching or listening to this show, you are acknowledging that you are of legal age to purchase and consume cannabis in your region. This production is for adults only. Have you seen the slash? Made by users for users. Engineered for flavor. One of the coolest features around. A built-in loading tool. Learn more at www.stonesmiths.ca. What's happening? We'll tell you right now on This Week in Cannabis News. My good friend David Wiley from Okanagan, from the OZ is joining me on This Week in Cannabis News. You can find them online at OkanaganZ.com and on Twitter at OkanaganZ. Uh, David, great to chat with you again. How are things in the Valley today? Doing pretty good. Lots of snow falling. So, uh, you know, I'm about ready to be done with the snow and done with winter. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we'll we'll take it. Maybe get a little bit of sledding in later. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, skiing is probably one of those things that people can, you know, actually get out and do uh, right now with uh, some of the restrictions. It's kind of an, uh, uh, True. I guess, a sol- uh, solo sport sort of thing. You can do it on your own. So at least there's uh, good reasons for snow sometimes. I'm, I'm like you. I'm, uh, I'm kind of like uh, once you get past January, man, I am ready for spring. And then spring always seems to take so long. But We'll have to get there uh, by being patient. And um, one of the things that we've been talking about a lot, David, is how possible legalization will impact what's already legalized in Canada. You know, how far ahead will the U.S. be right out of the gate and what impact that will have on Canadian companies? There's a lot of Canadian companies kind of sitting on pins and needles right now waiting for this to happen, aren't they? Yeah, there's lots of deals in the works for when the U.S. Uh, you know gets its act together and figures out how they're going to be doing uh, legalization or at least some kind of framework that fits uh, across the nation. And a lot of people are watching, including BMO. Uh, and one BMO analyst says that this is a possible $60 billion market that many people are salivating over, but uh, she's urging some caution. Um, You know, and we've talked about what the more cannabis-friendly Biden administration is going to do, the optimism behind uh, the MORE Act possibly, you know, coming into effect. But Tammy Chen says that cannabis just really isn't at the top of the Democratic to-do list. It's COVID and other kinds of issues. Um, You know, and even if the MORE Act were passed overnight, she says it won't impose full legalization across the U.S., and that it would take time for federal bodies there like the DEA and the FDA to establish their own positions and their own standards. And she says that investors just should not assume that within a few months that we're going to have big changes in the U.S. uh, federal cannabis law. Now, even if those big changes were to happen, that doesn't necessarily mean great things for Canadian companies. Uh, It's going to bring new opportunities for Canadian cannabis companies, sure, to formally enter the U.S. market, uh, but it could also take away the advantage that these Canadian cannabis stocks have had over the much larger U.S. market because the U.S. has frankly had its hands tied behind its back 
um, without a framework that they can use to grow federally. So the MORE Act could actually be negative for Canadian LP stock valuations uh, and much more positive for U.S. cannabis companies. So there's definitely a little bit of trepidation happening uh, right now and mixed in with that optimism. Right. Uh, the, the one thing that uh, I did like that she pointed out is that, you know, getting into the U.S. market uh, could be a good, uh, uh, I guess, route for Canadian companies that have a lot of supply right now. Uh, you know, that could be mm-hmm. an issue where or a situation where Canadians can uh, maybe take it uh, taking advantage. But, um, you know, the, whatever the U.S. framework is going to be. I am willing to bet it's going to be more business friendly than the Canadian one is. And that already, David, is going to put the U.S. at the very least even with where Canada is after two years, in my opinion, if not ahead. And it's going to force Canada, Health Canada and the Cannabis Act Review uh, to to take action and, and be able to you know, at the very least, um, you know, stay, stay even with some of these countries that are coming out with um, easier guidelines in their legalization. You bet. We've really seen the differences. I mean, the Martha Stewart gummies are definitely something that I look to regularly. They're packaged differently. Um, Martha Stewart can actually speak to people on behalf of that company uh, and endorse it, which is something that can happen here in Canada. And, you know, as you pointed out, there's a little bit of good news in there for Canadian LPs who may have um, more flour than they know what to do with. But that would only be for the medical uh, market and not for anything mm. else, um, just because of the way that our, our trade agreements go. So, you know, the, there's a lot of mystery about what this is going to mean. And uh, some of that optimism, according to BMO, which is pretty tied in um maybe misplaced like i wonder like there's so many restrictions is seth rogan even allowed to like tweet out a picture of him drinking a houseplant drink or would that (laughs) be considered like he doesn't have to say anything about it he could just say this is tasty but you know that that might be considered over the line um in in the the cannabis act just taking a picture because he's involved in it so certainly a lot of evolution um has to happen on uh, that front evolution is what has happened for what's that sorry it's true yeah I, I agree and that's the i'm a lot of this stuff still needs to be ironed out frankly here in canada and a lot of these laws are untested yeah, it, 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 exactly, and 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 it'd be interesting to see somebody challenge uh, some, and it's going to happen at some point if the the Cannabis Act uh, isn't changed, uh, etc. All right, I was mentioning before about the evolution of a brewing company in the United States. Uh, this is a really good story with some cool connections. And I love the connection to, to Colorado in that, you know, one of the companies, uh, I believe CEO, spends a lot of time there, but also the connection to legalization. I mean, Colorado was like the uh, the marijuana poster child for a little while in North America because they were the first ones to be legal. Uh, and, you know, I've had friends that that have gone there and said, it's like the opposite, totally opposite here. It's, it's just so much different. So I love the connections, but tell us a little bit about what's going on with uh, Sweetwater Brewing Company. This is a perfect transition from the last story, too, because these are things that you could do in the U.S. that you just can't do in Canada. Um, But this actually is, I'd say, a hint of things to come. Sweetwater Brewing is owned by a Canadian cannabis company, Afria. 
and this Sweetwater Brewing is expanding into Colorado. They're going to be offering their different um, cannabis kind of branded beers. So 420 Extra Pale Ale, a Hazy IPA, G13 IPA, and Highlight Locale Easy IPA in bars, restaurants, and uh, retailers starting on February 1st. Um, meanwhile, Sweetwater has actually recently filed trademark applications in the U.S. for Sweetwater Broken Coast Headstash Lager and mm. Sweetwater Broken Coast Pie in the Sky Lager, plus eight different variations of both of those for different categories like beer, hard seltzer, soft drinks, energy drinks. So this is also an expansion of a really well-known Canadian cannabis brand into the U.S. in kind of a backdoor way something that we wouldn't see here in Canada, particularly because our current cannabis regulations forbid any marketing crossover between weed and alcohol. Um, so that's a barrier here. You could never see a broken coast logger here because they're not allowed. Um, so this expansion into Colorado is actually kind of an interesting homecoming for their CEO and their founder. He did take, um, he graduated from post-secondary school there and started working with beer in Colorado. So this is uh, fun for him. He wants a chance to revisit that state again. And, you know, since he started playing around with beer in Colorado and founded the Sweetwater Company, it's really gone gangbusters. It's one of the nation's top 15 craft breweries by sales, uh, sales volume. And that's according to the Brewers Association. Uh, they have beers in 27 states. So it's pretty fascinating to, uh, to see the differences, you know, between the Canadian and U.S. industry there and how a Canadian brand is now looking to, uh, to make headway in, in the states. Yeah, and we've talked about this before, and I think there was some confusion about, you know, is this uh, an alcoholic drink? Is this a cannabis drink? Uh, it says 5.3% alcohol. I did find an article that says, and they have they actually say, disclaimer, the ingredients only lend to flavor and aroma. Since there's no THC, uh, there's no getting high off the 420 strain series. And, and hopefully that's the case. I don't think we should ever be mixing alcohol and cannabis in a drink. I think it should be one or the other. Um, and it'll be interesting to see the Canadian connection with this and when everything, like there's there's a lot of, um, I guess, like uh, like the whack-a-moles ready to pop up around if things go right. And, and, and it'll be interesting to see because we're seeing cannabis-infused THC-infused drinks here. And I know you're a fan and, and I think they're getting better. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't ever think we should mix alcohol and THC together, and I'm glad that these appear not to be the case. And while they're not mixing alcohol and cannabis together, what they are doing is they're increasing brand presence. Mm -hmm. So yep. people who are familiar with these kinds of beers, you know, someone drinking a Broken Coast uh, beer, and then, you know, at some point maybe making a crossover into the cannabis store um, would notice that there's a Broken Coast cannabis there. So, yeah, I agree with you. I'm mixing cannabis and alcohol definitely increases the potency of both of those things. So there's got to be a lot of caution when you're doing that. But you're, you're definitely right, man. That is, you know, when they get to THC infused drinks, 
they're already going to have that brand placement and in people's minds. So a really, really uh, smart idea. All right. This next story that we're going to chat about is, uh, I found it quite interesting. It's, it's a long read, but it's a good read. And it's from the New York times Mm -hmm. looking at um, legalizing cannabis. And, and the the headline is uh, two years after legalizing cannabis has Canada kept its promises. Um, So I'll I'll let you kind of dive into this and then uh, maybe I'll come in with some of the thoughts that, uh, that I kind of have on this one, but uh, what what were your thoughts on uh, on this article? Uh, it really shows that all eyes are on Canada. The New York Times is such a big deal, um, and I was taken aback by the comparison that the writer made between two cases, um, two arrests involving cannabis. They talked off the top about Robert. Uh, who was arrested in 1988 as a teenager. And then a little later on, they talked about Michelle Trudeau, of course, one Mm -hmm. of Pierre Trudeau's sons. And in Robert's case, the arrest marked the start of a long, unhappy history in in the legal system. Uh, It really ruined his life. Like many who go in jail, Robert got trapped in crime and spent a total of 14 years locked up, divided between um, drug offense convictions and thefts. Uh, in order to support the drug habit. And a lot of those things came about because of the time in jail or people use it as coping mechanisms or you develop, you know, certain alliances. Um, Meanwhile, in Michel Trudeau's case, he was caught with joints and his dad was able to make those charges go away thanks to their resources and connections. That story is not uncommon in Canada where, you know, the cannabis laws were very much focused um, on mainly arresting people who were um, black, indigenous, uh, of color. And, you know, people who were white, like myself, I have my own personal stories of getting busted um, many, many years back and getting off with a warning. Well, friends of mine uh, who were colored did not get those same chances. Now, the New York Times article definitely explores that and it talks about the fact that the new laws have all but eliminated possession charges. That is a huge plus, and I'm so glad to see that. Now, one of the challenges, however, is that the amnesty program that the federal government put into place to erase criminal records for possession has so many barriers to access that as of mid-November of last year, only 341 people had actually succeeded in erasing their criminal records. Now, there are no fees, Right. But applicants have to frequently spend money and time traveling to the place where they were arrested to retrieve their records and they need to be fingerprinted. So things need to change with that. Um, You know, a lot of people would like to see those records just automatically erased rather than having to go through some lengthy process in order to do it. Another thing that was found um, to be not necessarily a failure but certainly we're behind on is that a lot of indigenous cannabis sellers are still in legal limbo and nobody seems to know what to do when it comes to indigenous owned cannabis stores. Um, They're still operating. Nobody wants to enforce on them because we don't know how the law might apply to indigenous land. Um, Yet there's a lot of frustration in the legal industry that those kinds of stores are able to operate in a gray area that legalization was supposed to erase and that they're facing competition that they weren't necessarily prepared to when they made major investments into 
um, you know, jumping through the the red tape and uh, and the costs associated. So it's a it's a very fascinating read on the uh, outside world perspective of successes and failures so far two years into legalization here in Canada. Yeah, I thought it was an interesting read. Um, the one thing I, I I do agree with is. No, I don't want. I don't know why there has to be so many hoops for people to jump through to get these records. Why can't we just go through it? Pot conviction done. Pot conviction done. Like it's. What are we? Are are we weighing which cases deserve uh, expungement over others? Well, that's not the uh, the story we were told. So I do agree on that front, and I do agree that uh, indigenous people have been left in that gray area and have, you know, we, we've talked about that story. They couldn't even get a meeting with the premier, uh, that you know, and things like that in BC. So I agree on one hand. The couple of things I, I maybe take issue with in this article, and, and maybe on a, on a broader sense, is the one uh, line, and, and I think we have it on our, uh, our screen here, is that it says pot sales outside the legal system still thrive. I would take exception to that. I'm not naive or... or uh, um, uh, simple enough to think that there is no black market anymore, but I'm I think, and you know, we've seen studies that have shown that the legal market has taken a big chunk out of the illicit market. Now, if you're looking at the same studies that Peter McKay looks at, then then you would think otherwise because those are just blatantly made up in his mind. But there are statistics that show the illegal market has uh, had a bite taken out of it, and and the other thing that I would just point out about this is it's barely two years in. Like, it is ridiculous to think that you would have all the problems sorted out and solved in two years and you would wipe out the illegal market. If anybody thought that within two years there would be no more black market and all the problems would be great, I've got some fresh Alberta snow to sell (laughs) you as miracle water that is going to change your life because you are naive if you thought that. So we have to give this just a little bit of time to keep working. Overall, I think Canada has done a good job. We haven't had to take a whole lot of stuff back like they did in Colorado. So I think, you know, listen, there are issues. Yes, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm acknowledging that. And there are things that should have happened already, like expungement of records. But to think that, you know, within two years, the illegal market still wouldn't be out there is, is just ridiculous. So a lot of good points in this article, but let's remember this has barely been two years. And, and I don't know who expected legalization to happen, snap your fingers and everything was perfect, but that's, a, that's in a fantasy world. Well, retail sales at legal stores continue to climb, and Statistics Canada has found that legal sales have outpaced black market sales. So, yeah, absolutely. And expungement of records, fully on board. That needs to happen. We need to make sure that people aren't held back anymore by petty possession charges. All right, this next story is just such a a head-scratcher, and and maybe you can give a little background on, you know, the city of Vernon and, you know, it's, um, you know, some people's, I don't want to say the entire city because I don't want to paint the, them all with the same brush, but there are some in that city that really seem to have something against uh, cannabis business. Can you give us some background and, and, on, and, and lead us into this story about uh, some opposing more cannabis stores? Sure. You know, I've spent a lot of time in Vernon. I used to be a managing editor of a newspaper up there. And one thing that I can tell you is that it's a very conservative place. 
um, perhaps the most conservative place in all of the Okanagan, which is known in its own right to be a bit of a Bible Belt. And yet, on the other side of the spectrum, they've actually granted licenses for 17 cannabis stores so far in Vernon. And that's creating some tension. I mean, it is the highest concentration of legal cannabis stores in all of BC. Um, they also have quite a, a large number of unlicensed stores too. So there's there's kind of a strange um, butting of heads, I guess, that seems to be happening there right now. Uh, and once again, they're facing legal retail cannabis stores are facing very vocal opposition um, with critics that are really flinging fear. You know, uh, we've got two more cannabis stores that are applying to open and um, Roxanne Petrick is one of those leading the way. She's the executive director of Okanagan Valley College of Massage Therapy. And she wrote a letter to council that they're going to be discussing today, actually, uh, against a nearby cannabis store. And she says that uh, multiple stores downtown gives the sense of a drug alley, uh, that it attracts loitering of persons in the drug culture as opposed to families and tourism. She says that she's worried about the safety of her students who have to walk past or near the proposed store. Um, you know, she says that although a cannabis retailer on its own doesn't necessarily increase the risk of theft or assault, uh, you know, that but promoting a general sense that if you want drugs, that downtown is the place to be is increasing unwanted trafficking and decreasing student safety. And, you know, she's not alone. Uh, Dave Reel from Vernview Dev argues that the downtown core has a problem with homeless people who congregate and feed off of others by begging or panhandling. You can tell that, you know, these are not necessarily, um, you know, the most kind-hearted people just simply yeah. by the way that they're referring to, you know, those, those that are down on their luck. Um, you know, this guy here, Dave, says that, to be fair, he's not going to classify most of these people um, in a category that would be frequenting a legal cannabis shop, um, but says that there still might be some common links or something that could be associated with the city's drug problem. Uh, you know, this isn't the first time that people have said this kind of thing. About a year ago, there was a commercial realtor, a commercial realtor with Remax, and he basically wrote that no professional business wants to have a legal cannabis store as a neighbor. Uh, and, you know, I can tell you with the businesses that I've spoke to and gone into that that is absolutely not the case. A lot of different businesses would love to have a well-operated legal cannabis store as a neighbor. And that's something that we're seeing. A lot of the stores in Vernon, the Okanagan, and Canada-wide are clean, bright, well operated and are attracting customers from all across different demographics. Yeah, this this is just silly. First of all, um, the, the people that are complaining about, uh, as they called it, the beggars and, and the homeless, I, I'm guessing those people have never missed a meal in their life because how they talk about them shows that they have never faced that kind of adversity or know a lot of people that have because there is a total lack of compassion. Secondly, you're telling me you yeah. take all those cannabis stores out of Vernon and the homeless problem or as they call it, the vagrant problem is going to go away. Give your head a shake. It's just simply ridiculous. Now, 
I have to explain something to Roxanne in in her logic, so she will understand it. Because what Roxanne, uh, the uh, you said the executive director of Okanagan Valley College of Massage Therapy. What Roxanne is exhibiting is pure ignorance, and she is pushing the stigma to call it drug alley. Well, first of all, it's a plant. And by Roxanne's logic, I should assume that the Okanagan Valley College is just putting out people that are going to w- go work in rub and tugs and the sexual, and the sexual uh, industry. Seriously, that's the ignorance of Roxanne's statement, talking about a drug alley because there are legal cannabis stores. She is showing so much ignorance. I'm trying to point out that maybe they're just putting out students that are going to work in Robin Tugs. Like, that's how ridiculous Roxanne's statement is. I know my statement about people is ridiculous. One of my best friends is the, the chair of massage therapy at McEwen College. I know that's a professional uh, profession. It's an industry that is regulated, just like the cannabis industry. So Roxanne... Please do some research because you're looking like an ignorant fool in this way by talking like that. Do some research. Look at in Manitoba. They are recommending cannabis to be used in the massage industry. So, Roxanne, do some homework because you're embarrassing yourself with that kind of statement. Now, I'm sorry, David, for going off on a rant, but that is just simply pushing the stigma that we're trying to get rid of in pure ignorance. The other thing I will say is uh, there's the one quote here that says, uh, competition is healthy at this scale. Viability of the existing retail outlets is already stretched. Now, I think the population is about 40,000 or something in, in Vernon from what I read, maybe a little bit more. That does seem a lot of stores, 17, but... I don't think that store owner would like all the stores to be thrown in a hat and then his drawn out and he has to go. So we have to remember free market and yeah, some places are saturated and that's going to take care of itself in my opinion. It's going to be the survival of the fittest. There might be 17 stores today and less than that because they can't make it. I I don't like the idea of uh, ignorance or, you know, maybe maybe a little bit of greed and not wanting a lot of competition. I don't know what your thoughts are on my rant, but uh, I'll let you have the last word on this. I think that there's a lot of arguments that are based in fact that you could make if you so wanted to, including that there are a large number of stores. I think that throwing fear and shade and stigma around is pretty damn irresponsible. And I'm really interested to hear what Vernon City Council has to say about this and whether or not they're going to continue to promote that stigma or whether they're going to stop it right where it stands. Yeah, and and they should stop it because it's it's bloody ridiculous. And like I said, people that throw that stuff around there have not done a shred of research on any of this or else they wouldn't say things that are so irresponsible and damaging to a legal industry i uh, so anyway you know how i feel that's uh th- that's enough of my rant for this week so uh we'll wrap things up at there but make sure you check things out at okanaganz.com and on twitter at okanaganz get all your cannabis news daily from the oz thanks as always david we'll chat next week good to see you